Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Either you are with us or you are with the terrorists. If you've got health care already, then you can keep your plan if you are satisfied with it. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Take it to the bank. Together, we will make America great again. We shall never surrender. Never surrender. It's what you've been waiting for all day. Buck Sexton with America Now. Join the conversation. Call Buck toll-free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. The future of talk radio. Buck Sexton. Team, welcome to the Freedom Hunt. Great to have you with me. An honor and a privilege, as always. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show uh, 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825. Uh, let me just say before we get, and by the way, I, I missed you all. I'm sorry I was out on Friday. I had to do some traveling. I was on the other side of the country. As you know, I was at uh, Stanford University visiting the uh, fantastic Hoover Institution last week, spending time with their fellows and getting to know a bit about Palo Alto. I'd actually never been there before. Nice place, not not really for me in the long run, but a nice enough place. But I had to come back, and I, I know that uh, Brian Suits was in on Friday. I heard he did a, a great job, and I, I appreciate him manning the helm here in the Freedom Hut. Uh, but I miss you all. That's The problem I have with taking a day off from this show is that I love doing this show, and so when I miss even one day of it, I... It's hard for me to enjoy my vacation as much as I should. That's all I'll say. So I'm, I was exci- I was excited about coming back here and and had all kinds of topics in mind, which we will get to over the course of the show. But the news cycle has changed in the last few hours. I think many of you already know what I'm talking about. We'll get into some of that. But I had anticipated coming in today and talking to you about an amazing story and really troubling, really frightening story out of the Middle East right now where you have uh, the uh, prime minister of Lebanon in what some are calling a a low-grade hostage situation with Saudi Arabia and how this is part of the spiraling Sunni-Shia Cold War because that is what it is. There is a Sunni-Shia Cold War in effect right now uh, across the Middle East and to call it a Cold War, we, we should keep in mind, doesn't mean that there aren't plenty of places where it's hot. And it's just not declared yet between the major combatants, kind of like the U.S., the Soviet Union back in the day. Iran and Saudi Arabia are not openly at war yet. I don't think it will happen, but given what we are seeing, it could happen. But what is even more likely is that Lebanon will become yet another battleground between proxies, just like Syria and Yemen and Iraq, uh, where there is tremendous bloodshed and fighting between Sunni and Shia Muslim forces. So I will talk to you about that, but we will have to put that on hold for a few moments here. And then there is also the story that was out of the New York Times about massive breaches, the New York Times is claiming, of uh, the intelligence community and intelligence community data. This just goes along with the uh, unbelievable and and almost unimaginable in terms of scope and severity breaches of private information and the loss of data security that has become, uh, unfortunately, so commonplace that we are largely numb to it, I think. 
We just go, oh, you know, Equifax or whatever, whichever one it was. Yeah, Equifax, you know, lost all of our data, you know. Uh, Office of Personnel Management, huge hack of data. You know, as our lives are transferred more and more online, and I mean, think about what would happen to you if right now you went online and you looked and you had all of your accounts were at zero. Now, there's technology out there that may be able to fix this and you know, blockchain for one, which I, I have not forgotten. We will talk to you more about blockchain and about uh, about Bitcoin and these other these, the other cryptocurrencies that are out there. But I know what you're thinking. Well, Buck, you're, this is all, I hope you think, very interesting and there's a lot of a lot of knowledge and learning that we all have to do on this subject matter. And this matters. If there's a, if there is a, a major war in the Middle East, it matters to all of us. We've got soldiers in harm's way. We are very likely to get deeply involved with some of our allies there. We probably have much, many more soldiers in harm's way. And that matters whether you're in, you know, New York, Omaha, or California, right? doesn't matter all across the country. Uh, I mean, it does matter. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't matter where you are. It does matter to you does matter to this country. And then also on the notion of cybersecurity, the the claim in the New York Times is that there are hacking tools that have now gotten pasted all over the internet that have just opened up the proverbial Pandora's box. And now who knows what's safe and who knows what the long-term impact of all of this is. But that's what I, that's what I get excited about coming into this show to talk to you about. And this is what I read all weekend. Molly's, oh, put away your, you know, put away your laptop. We need to we're cooking dinner. Okay, honey. Okay. You know, and that's what I want to talk to you about. And I will, but I also have, I feel some obligation to handle the uh, biggest news stories of the day every day, even when they are, uh, both complicated, uh, emotionally disturbing and full intentionally. So with the way the media and others and activist groups use these moments, but but full of political landmines just in the discussion of it. And you all know that I'm talking about the Roy Moore situation. Um, I I should say this right, right off the bat. I would very much like to hear from you. I know we have a substantial uh, Alabama contingent of team box, so you're, you're closer to this in terms of the fact that you're going to be casting votes here pretty soon. In, in the uh, Senate, in the special Senate election there. But I want to know what all of you think about uh, about this matter, because it is a it is a tough one. They have clearly already gone after people for how they've talked about this. And that was by design, meaning that just just by asking the question, just by starting off and saying, well, hold on a second, we have accusers here. We have really one criminal accusation, although there's another one today. Uh, but originally it was one criminal accusation and then more accusations of what would be uh, understood to be maybe socially unacceptable behavior or socially uh, unseemly, but n- not illegal. Although today there's another allegation that I, I will deal with that as well. Uh, but we should note as we get into this, because this turns into very much a it's a who do you believe this will never these allegations against Roy Moore will Never make it into court. They are all past any possible statute, uh, all past the pos- uh, the statute of limitations. So he will have no legal, even if he wanted to, or even if he 
was saying he will take this to the mat. He has no legal recourse to defend himself. This is just being fought out in the court of public opinion right now. There will never be a, unless something else comes forward that I'm not aware of, but there will never be a court uh, hearing for all of this. And we should also understand what the stakes are. Like I said, I, I will get into the uh, the specifics of the allegation today. And it's, look, it's very, very troubling. Uh, and you don't need me to say that. I, I I hear so much of this this commentary on TV and everyone's like, well, you know, clearly, clearly if, if he's actually guilty of sexual assault of a minor or clearly, you know, then he should step down. Of course. This is anyone, I think, with a a functioning moral compass would feel that way. The big issue is, do you believe that this is what happened? Do you believe that this is a an accurate accounting of events 40 or so years ago or not? I don't think the question is so much about, and although the media has tried to frame it this way, you know, did the act disqual or should the acts that Roy Moore is accused of disqualify him for being a senator? It's do you believe it? Because on the one hand, if you do not believe it, think about what a, a terrible circumstance this is, right? This man's reputation, if, if, he steps, if he steps down, then he's definitely going to be, in the eyes of many, viewed as, uh, as admitting guilt, effectively. Even if he steps down for the good of the party, right? Even if he steps down because he does not, in fact, want to lose this Senate seat. And then there's the other side of this, which is, well, if he... If he is guilty, what a mess the Republican Party finds itself in here. Um, and that there's obviously a, a, a real possibility, and this possibility seemed to increase today based on the fact that there is another another allegation of uh, and, and it, it just goes towards a pattern. See what the what the press, what the Washington Post, what the others are doing is they're establishing a pattern. And look, prosecutors establish patterns. This is not. Uh, we cannot ignore this, even though they're bringing in to establish this pattern of dating and allegedly preying on young women. They're they're establishing a pattern by bringing in, in some cases, completely legal conduct. They're doing that to show that he had a predisposition towards dating uh, particularly young women for a man of his age at the time in his 30s. Uh, and that they are trying to then add to the credibility of the illegal accusations. Right? That's why they have the different, uh, the different components of this coming together. And let me just say, before I try to dive into what seems to me to be true, what seems to be problematic, and what, where I am in all this, because I, I would much rather tell you about, or much rather spend our time talking about the fascinating uh, but dangerous and very uncertain elements and, and situations and circumstances arising in the Middle East right now because, one, it's an area just of professional expertise for me, and also I just think it's very – That's I, I come in here because I want to talk to you about uh, things that are, are interesting and, and that, that matter in a, in a grand and a big sense as much as I can, whether it's – but in this case, people would say, well, what matters here is does the Republican Party still stand for – morality or not is there any underlying morality there or, or are we now just in a full-on street fight of whatever my side has to do to win is what my side will do and i know these, these are these are the different dynamics at play uh, as well 
uh, in the Roy Moore discussion. Um, a note on this, and we'll spend a little more time, on, and I really do encourage and, and ask those of you who have strong feelings on this one way or another. I'm sure some of you listening are, think, are saying, Buck, you're being too uh, favorable towards Moore. Others probably think I'm being unfair to Moore. I'm not coming down on one side or the other. I'm trying to work through what we know. Because I don't think I need to say, well, if he's guilty, he should, of course, if he's guilty, he should step down. The question is, what can we know about the allegations so far? Um, and and also looking at this from the perspective of how the media has set this up. Um, this was, I, I do not believe, for example, for one second, that the Washington Post did not know about this follow on accusation that it was coming. This by by having the initial set of allegations last week in the story and leaving off that there is now a woman who has come forward and in a very, I will, a very convincing and very gut-wrenching interview talked about what she said was an attempted sexual assault when she was 16 by Roy Moore. Um, but I believe that the media knew about this and that the whole, from their perspective of just maximizing the damage to the Republican Party, because whether whether anything is true or not true for a second, step back from it. The Washington Post, the Democrat media, they want this to do maximum damage to Republicans. We're all we're all adults here. We all can be honest about that. They want to use this to annihilate the Republican Party to the greatest degree possible um, and to uh, smear everybody who's associated with it, and particularly Trumpism and the the outsiders that are part of the, the Trump movement. So I think they knew about it. I think that part of the plan that the media had was, well, we'll bring out this. And there's plenty of there, there's plenty of room based on the initial allegations to say, hold on a second. We don't know if this is true. And then to embarrass those publicly who are very prominent in their defense of or I shouldn't say defensive in their desire to slow things down and get to the truth. It's, oh, by the way, and now here's another one. Here's another uh, story. That you are forced to then, if you're going to take this position, say, well, hold on a second. We don't know. It's getting it's getting uh, the heat has been turned up and it is not accidental. So I think it's important to keep all of that in mind. And one more thing here before I go into a break. And like I said, I'm very curious to hear where you are on this. Uh, just one seat. That's what is at stake here. One Senate seat. And as you have that in your mind, we should all remember that. Just one Senate seat would have been the difference between Obamacare or not. Just one Senate seat would have been or just one Senate vote would have been the difference just this past summer between Obamacare repeal and or not. Uh, just one seat, especially given how hotly contested the Senate is right now and that the midterms are coming up, that will also matter, I think, dramatically in the future of this administration. And Democrats... I, I I can say it only so many times during the show, have a long history of playing very, very dirty in politics over any number of different races. So that is a context. That is not a specific commentary on this incident. It is a context for our discussion. Um, and with that, I'll come back on the other side. We'll play the latest allegation. And I'm going to want to hear from from you. What do you think should be? Do you think do you think that it's just too damaging to the party? Roy Moore should step down. Do you think that this is just all an assault, an attack orchestrated by the media? But, you know, then there's going to be some other questions like, well, this guy is writing in the yearbook of one of these young girls. Uh, no one's saying that's fabricated. There, there's going to be some questions that come up here. 
I'm really curious to know what you think. 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK. I will play the latest uh, allegation on the other side of this break. It is, it is tough to listen to, but we should all hear it. And, uh, and I do promise in the second, third hour, we'll talk about geopolitics, Middle East strategy, other things that will be of interest. We'll be right back. So last week, there, were, there was one criminal allegation from 40 years ago about Judge Moore involving a 14-year-old girl in Alabama when he was a 30-something-year-old district attorney. And there were other young women that he was said to have dated, uh, none of them in violation of the law. And as I said, so the, the reporting on that just seems to be to establish a pattern that he was dating young women and, and, and also, I think, to just further destroy this guy's reputation, rightfully or, or not. That's what they're claiming. That's what they're trying to do. Um, and, but then as of today, you have a new accuser who went on TV and uh, was out there and claims to be a Trump supporter, by the way. Her name is Beverly Young Nelson. And here's what she said at a press conference. Instead of answering my questions, Mr. Moore reached over and began groping me and putting his hands on my breast. I tried to open my car door to leave, but he reached over and he locked it so I could not get out. I tried fighting him off while yelling at him to stop. But instead of stopping, he began squeezing my neck, attempting to force my head onto his crotch. I continued to struggle. I was determined that I was not going to allow him to force me to have sex with him. (coughs) I was terrified. She went on to also show in her high school yearbook, more signed to a sweeter, more beautiful girl. I could not say Merry Christmas. Uh, love, Roy Moore, District Attorney. That was in 1977. So, I th- what 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 are we what are we to make of this? Uh, it, it seems that there are only a couple of options here. One is that. Roy Moore, 40 years ago or so, was uh, engaged in uh, multiple instances of uh, attempted sexual predation on young women, very young women, teenagers. Um, Or the other is that this is an incredibly sophisticated and believable smear campaign against a would-be U.S. senator at a time when politics couldn't get much uglier in this country. It is one or the other. I don't think there's a third I don't think there's a third option. And that woman's testimony, if we're just analyzing this piece by piece, to me sounded very credible. So I need to know what all of you think. 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK. We'll do more on this when we come back. I think you should step aside. That's an option we're looking at, uh, whether or not there is someone who can mount a write-in campaign successfully. Would it be Senator Strange, do you think? Uh, We'll see, yeah. Is the burden on Moore to prove these false versus someone to prove that these are true in this situation? Or do you believe these allegations to be true? I believe the women, yes. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell says he believes them. Says that Moore should step down, uh, and if not, 
there should be a write-in campaign, which, I mean, I could assume, just looking at this from a pure political perspective for a second, I mean, the Democrats going to win if you try to split the vote that way. I mean, I, I, will, I would assume, um, unless I'm missing something. Uh, so this is, and now you've also got National Republican Senatorial Committee Chairman Cory Gardner uh, said that Alabama nominee Roy Moore is unfit to serve. So you've got another GOP official calling for Moore to step down. Art in West Virginia on WWVA. Art, what do you make of all this? Uh, hello, Buck. Uh, um, that uh, that woman that you played, that uh, gives you pause when you listen to it. But I still think one of the main things that need to be done in this, and it will probably be done, but uh, for Judge Moore, it'll be too late, will be to follow the money. And uh, what, mon- what money? What money? Art? What do you mean? Well, I mean the money coming from the Democrat Party, uh, going to go all red for one, and also going to uh, the Washington Post and all the reporters to find this uh, or suborn these people uh, to say these kind of things. Because if uh, if you look at the past history uh, of uh, following the money, uh, there's been too many of this this type of things happen, and after the after the guy's reputation is ruined, uh, his uh, his life is ruined, his family's life is ruined. Then we come to find out none of it was true, and it's uh, it's a darn shame that this happens. But it always it always comes from the left, and I I study Democrat history really heavily because I am very very and, and to be frank about it, I'm very anti-Democrat and have been for years when I started studying their history. Um, and, uh, I listened and then I listened to McConnell today and he was against, uh, judge Moore from the start. So anything that McConnell says, I throw out. Well, can I uh, ask you, Art, so at this point, you still, you still are, are of the, of the mind, you take the position that this is a hit job on judge Moore. You do not believe that he was, uh, a multiple attempted sexual assault, uh, perpetrator. Predator. Predator. No, I'm I'm not sure. You're not uh, sure. Okay. I'm not sure because I like to uh, I like to follow uh, the law and uh, and wait until we find out what's going on and what's really going on because I mean this guy is already guilty as far as uh, McConnell and the rest of those goofballs up there are concerned and also uh, I would say probably right now with the way it's going the majority of the American public but. He hasn't been tried. All he has is allegations. And, uh, I mean, if you look at the allegations, remember Duke, Duke uh, guys, their reputations, their lives. Were yeah, the Duke lacrosse case. I, I followed that was, very closely and read it. But we actually had the author of Until Proven Innocent on the show to talk about the campus, uh, campus rape yeah. hoaxes here in the past. That book, Until Proven Innocent, is, a, is an excellent book. I, I recommend it yeah. to all of you. It's about the Duke lacrosse case. And in that instance... You know, reporters went went all along with it, but keep in mind, there you had a an attorney, uh, or th- there you had a district attorney who n- knew that he was prosecuting innocent people and just did not care. So yeah. uh, it, it's it's chilling to to read that, uh, well, and and also you know, that the media placed, went along and was complicit in it. Right, I placed McConnell in that same category as that prosecutor. Wow, you really don't and like you I, really don't like Mitch oh, McConnell, do you? Art? Oh, McConnell, he's he's a he's a, a definite joke. He. Uh, and also Ryan, I I don't trust either one of them as far as I can see. And I'm I'm uh, I hear you. I've been able to vote. I'm I'm a Republican and an independent. And 
uh, mainly a conservative. Well, thank thank you, Art, for calling in and sharing your thoughts. I appreciate it. I just note on, on his point about Paul Ryan, I, w- I gave a speech this past weekend at a radio event out in the Chicago area, and I just mentioned, I wasn't even, I do, the way I usually do a speech is I write out some stuff, and then I just end up getting up on stage and talking to people for trying to, you know, it's essentially like a, how I do the radio show here, although I really don't have much of, of any notes here at all. And I, me- I just mentioned Paul Ryan. It wasn't even really, I forget it. It just sort of came up, right? I was like, so, you know, you've got Paul Ryan. And just the mention of his name, all the people, boo, there were boos. <laughs> I was like, wow. I wasn't even, wasn't even, raise your hand if you like Paul Ryan. It was, you know, Paul Ryan, boo. So, uh, we shall see. I should note that I have a, a Facebook message here. It just came in when I was on air. I am from... Alabama, and I'm voting for Judge Moore if I have to write him in, and there's a lot of us that feel this way. This is made up by McConnell, McCain, and the Dems. So this this just came in via Facebook to me. We've got calls coming in as well, so let's get get to some of them. Uh, Jeff in North Carolina, WPTI. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Buck. Yeah, I I am right in line with what Art just said. Uh, I, I, I do not believe... Anything that comes out of WAPO, we've seen this story before. It's a it's a hit job. It's the it's the old Lucy and Charlie Brown, you know, pull the football away from us. And it, it, it they they do they did it to Herman Cain. They they hit him with allegations of women. They came out of the woodwork, and as soon as Herman Cain stepped down, those those allegations and all the women went away. And they did the same thing to Mitt Romney. You know, it doesn't matter what the lie is; they just throw lies at. Well, they, they didn't. There was no there was no sexual misconduct allegations about Mitt Romney. I mean, Mitt Romney was like Ned, was like Ned Flanders care. with a big bank account. I, right, but they don't care. Whatever lie works for for. The, for the DNC, for the Democrats, and for uh, the, some of the GOP. And Art was right. Uh, okay, but can, can, I, can I ask you, and look, I, I understand. Are not good guys. Hold on one second, Jeff. I, I, I understand there's a complicated issue dealing with some very, very, uh, very important political realities and dealing with the very uh, difficult decision as to whether or not you think that Roy Moore is a sexual predator, right? I mean, because if he is, then I, I think we all, got, we all got to agree that that's... I don't believe it, and I, what's going to happen But Jeff, happen hold, hold on, hold on, I, and I, I appreciate... Jeff, I need you to slow down for a second. I appreciate your enthusiasm. I just want to ask you, though, what's up? Jeff, uh, I need you to answer a question for me, and that is, Beverly Young Nelson comes out today. I play the audio for you. She comes across as very credible. What what do you make of what do you make of that? What possible explanation could there be for this woman, fifty five years old, coming out now and saying that Judge Moore acted in this way? And if you I don't have an answer, that that's fine. I just want to po- I want to pose this to you because I think we have to deal with the facts as they're presented. Yeah, I'll answer it. I believe she she's being paid. Um, wow. There's money somewhere, and I. I, I I just I, I don't I'm not I'm not going to buy it. I'm I, not OK, buying. Jeff, I, I hear you. I hear you. And I, I asked you to, to do exactly what you're doing, which is share your opinions on this. And, and so for that, I, I thank you for it. And um, uh, thank you for calling in from North Carolina. I mean, on, on whether she's being paid, guys, I. Tyrone I, being paid, I don't who for I mean, yeah, uh, that doesn't that doesn't wash for me. Uh, that uh, that doesn't wash. So. Uh, look, I, I could sit here and tell you about Democrat dirty tricks for a long time. 
Um, I'm somebody, unlike a lot of other people out there who are talking about this in the media, who knows much of the backstory of Ted Stevens, senator from Alaska, who was prosecuted and the prosecutors withheld exculpatory evidence. And that seat then went to a Democrat, which was a necessary vote in the passage of Obamacare. So federal prosecutors want to talk about the swamp withheld exculpatory information to try and send Ted Stevens to prison. They knew he was innocent and they went after him anyway. And his seat then went to a Democrat. So they will. I get how dirty Democrats will play, but I'm not seeing how this is a don't misunderstand me. They're trying to make this a maximum damage issue for Republicans. There, anyone who asks any questions is supporting pedophilia. I mean, they're they're being reckless with the allegations here in terms of the discussion and people around the discussion and trying to get to the facts. They're trying to frighten people into not pushing for the facts. Everyone has to just get caught up in this condemnation maelstrom or else. But that all said, someone needs to explain to me. And look, we just said the gentleman said that she was paid. He has no evidence to support that, but that's what he believes. Okay, I don't believe that, but I need to know. You know, I I need to know if there's any other reason or explanation that's out there for this. Or we and we should. And I'll deal with this after the next break too. Are we just at a point now where we don't really care about the morality of political leaders? We just want what we want. I posed that question. I'll answer it on the other side of the break. I think it's important. Joe in Virginia, WWVA. We got like every line here lit. Joe, thank you. What's up? Everyone just get caught up in this condemnation maelstrom or else. Joe? But that- Joe, what happened? Oh. oh, okay. Yeah. Tell him. Tell, tell Joe. I just like, that sounds like me because Joe had to be on a delay there. Rhonda in Ohio. Rhonda on uh, WHLO. Hey, Rhonda. Yeah, I I think Jeff Sessions, since he is not doing his job, he could just take his Republican Senate seat back. You know, it might be the fastest, easiest way to keep the seat, and I feel bad for Roy. I I don't think it's right what they're doing to him, but I don't know if we have enough time to help him. I don't think it it works that way, but I I appreciate, I understand what you're saying. I, I would also say Mo Brooks, whom I've had on this show numerous times, Seemed like a great option to me. What happened with Mo Brooks? Why didn't, you know, that guy, I mean, I feel like it would be a nice, safe Senate seat for Mo Brooks. <laughs> What's, oh, man, that would have been that would have been way better than what we got now. So, Rhonda, you, you think, so, but do you believe, do you believe more or do you believe the accusers at this point? I believe more. You do? Okay. All right. All right. Well, Rhonda, well, I appreciate you calling in. Thank you. Angie from Alabama listening on the iHeart app. Hey, Angie. Hey. Um, I have a question about the the woman that came forward today. She is showing that yearbook around with pride showing his signature. She had to have taken the yearbook to him to get it signed. Okay, you know, but I mean, she she's me. showing it around because it she wants everyone to know that he clearly knew her. So it's not like a fabrication out of nowhere. It's it sounds to me like she knew him pretty well to take I. I only take my took my yearbook to people who I knew. I understand, Angie, but she's saying that he no one's no one right now is fighting over whether he knew her well. The the issue is, do you believe that he tried to force himself upon her when she was a 16 year old girl? It, it is she would be of legal age to consent in Alabama, assuming she was 16 at the time. So it's not an illegal issue 
for her consent. But if he was trying to force her, then it is sexual assault. And so she's alleging sexual she's alleging attempted sexual assault. Okay, well, I was never for Roy Moore, but all of this attack would make me cast my vote for Roy Moore. Hmm. I just don't buy the lady's story. You don't buy it. Okay. You know, Buck, Shields High, why didn't they come out of the net, the work, the woodwork? A ver- uh, that is a very worthwhile if, question if, that I meant to raise earlier, Angie. Had, it seems to me this guy's run for office many times. He's been around in public yeah. life for a long time. If he was a if he was a serial predator, uh, you know, people talk about, oh, well, look at Hollywood. Roy Moore, you know, all it takes is one story in the local paper about how he's doing this, and his political career is over. I mean, you know, but right. this, so right. I'm, I'm, and she was a local girl. All it would took taken was one story. But I'm, I, I'm telling you, I'm just, I'm Angie, I'm just keeping it real here. Beverly Young that. Nelson's testimony to me was, it just, it was very credible. So I have a really tough time with this. I appreciate you hey. calling in, and thank you. Um, all right, we got more and more lines. Let I, I obviously people have very strong pins on this. We'll get into this a little more. I promise you, we will not spend the entire show on this issue because we should not spend the entire show on this issue. There's a lot of other stuff going on, including a deadlock jury over Senator Menendez. By the way. That could go either way. That means they're like, uh, his, his fate is hanging in the balance. Many, many felony felony charges uh, there. But I, I know there's strong opinions on this, and, and your opinions, all of you listening, matters to me a lot. I like to know what you're thinking, where you are on this. So I do want to take some calls, and we will then, I'll talk to you about what's going on. We'll do a buck brief on the Middle East situation. It's crazy right now with Lebanon, Saudi Arabia, Iran, Yemen, so many moving pieces, but it's all trending into a very scary place for a region that is has no shortage of conflict. So we'll talk about that in the next hour. And uh, we've got we've got a lot a lot of show left. So eight four four nine hundred two eight two five. We've got I think one spot open now on the lines of when he wants to call in, and all the others are lit. Um, but we will take one. Uh, we'll take some calls. We'll move on to other topics in the next hour. And as always, I uh, appreciate you being with me here through this. Like every night through this journey. Be right back. Freedom Hub, we're talking about Judge Roy Moore, latest allegations. Uh, Last week it was that he tried to force himself upon a 14-year-old. There were other young women, but above the age of consent, other than the 14-year-old, that he was alleged to have had sexual contact or interest in. And now you have a woman who says she was 16, so of the age of consent in Alabama, but gave uh, testimony that there was an attempted sexual assault on her. So again, it wouldn't matter what you know age we're talking about here. We're talking about attempted, attempted sexual assault, attempted rape. So, uh, what do you make of all this, Joe in Virginia on WWVA? Joe, we got you back here. What's up? Hey, Joe. Uh, hey, Buck. How are you? I'm good. I'm hey, good. Number one, thanks for having me on. Uh, number two, I want to stress that I'm an American. And I'm so tired of hearing about Republicans, Democrats, this, that, the other thing. We're, we got to all remember, number one, we're Americans. And number two, as far as this thing with this Moore guy, listen, put another guy, write another guy in. This gal today, extremely credible. And, and the other gals were credible. The Post knew they were going to be scrutinized heavily. They had over 30 sources, 30 sources where they went and talked to folks that talked to folks that heard from these people 15, 20, 30 years ago about what happened. So it wasn't like somebody made one thing up and just made a claim. 
And as far as the stuff, the timing, the timing is certainly unfortunate. But, you know, in, in Hollywood now, a lot of Hollywood dudes have come out and have been, you know, allegations have come out against them. And the timing there, whether they got a movie coming out or a special coming out or a Netflix coming out or something else, people have come out against, you know, against them. So it, it just is what it is. And, and by the way, one last thing, and I'll let you get in there. I'm sorry. There's no, Joey, look, I appreciate it. Go ahead. Uh, you know, the other thing is, too, I, I, I guess two more things. No, the, the last three or four <laughs> okay, no three more things. Two more things. Go ahead. All right, two more things. That's it. The last three or four callers, man, if they had 16-year-old daughters, I wonder what they would say about this particular situation right now. That's number one. And number two, if, if I'm not mistaken, there's been sexual issues with people in both parties. Of course, so yeah. On the Dem side, recently, right? For instance, the uh, Bill Clinton was credibly was, was credibly uh, alleged to have raped a woman. I mean, just straight. Uh, Bill Clinton is it was credibly accused of being a straight up rapist, and Democrats did not care at all, zero care. Well, well, I, I don't know if that's the case. I, I think people did care. Uh, I mean, when I say they don't care, okay, and that that's that's exaggeration for effect. But nobody was saying he should resign. Nobody was saying you should step down. Nobody who mattered to the Democrat oh, I, Party. I don't, I don't know. I don't know that that's the case. But then you also had you had Spitzer, and you had Weiner, who's doing uh, 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 crime. You know, uh, uh, yeah, he's sexting minors. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Oh, we lost him. All right. Oh, we got to roll into a break here. We got lots of lines left. We'll come right back to more on this. Stay with me. Team, let's set the table for this coming hour here on radio. We have uh, I, the lines are just are just. Ringing off the hook left and right. We're lit up like a Christmas tree in here. So I, I, I know you've got a lot of thoughts on this, a lot of opinions. I asked for them. So we'll do one more segment here of calls, um, taking calls on the Roy, Judge Roy Moore issue. Very, uh, very difficult day for the Moore campaign. We can put it that way. Sixteen, a woman comes not sixteen. A woman comes out and says when she was sixteen, Roy Moore tried to sexually assault her. Comes after last week, fourteen year old. So we we played the audio for you. Sounds credible. Sounds credible to me, uh, and sounds like it's very, very difficult to see a way forward for uh, more. Although maybe he'll win no matter what. I, I you know, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but here, here we are. So I, I do want to move to both the latest from the Clapper Brennan chorus about how Trump is appeasing Russia and Trump's a Russia stooge and all that. It's crap, and I'll walk you through why. Also, this. Very intricate, but I think important uh, situation in the Middle East between Sunni and Shia. Think of it like a Sunni-Shia Cold War that is heating up uh, very rapidly. And it involves the prime minister of Lebanon in Saudi Arabia resigning from his job as the prime minister of Lebanon in Saudi so- Imagine that, right? I mean, that, that, think, just, think, just start with that, and, and I'll give you some of those details. It's a bizarre situation, but we'll, we'll get into why it's happening and what it means for the region. And then... Um, also, maybe I'll talk to you about these. I, I don't know. I don't know how interested you are in the cyber discussion, but we're just getting robbed. We're just getting, you know, robbed left and right of our most important advantage over other countries, which is information, data, technology. That's that is the name of the game. We we have the the, the bravest, most well trained, most honorable military in the history of the world. But it's going to be really hard if in 10 or 15 years, you know, the Chinese have better planes than we do. It doesn't matter how brave, honorable, well-trained you are. They've just got better planes to shoot missiles from further, right? I mean, I'm just, 
giving you a sense of what I'm talking about here, but that's that's going to be tough. Um, and we start getting into the missile defense and some of the very advanced military technologies that would be of tremendous value for one, now, never mind just country, one civilization to steal from another. That's why I call this a civilization-level conflict and the theft of information that's going on. People forget that, well, I'll tell you about how the Soviets had not military parity with us, but near military parity in terms of technology. It's not because they had such great scientists. But people don't want you to know the truth about this because it also involves the Democrat parties in, in being infiltrated by communists. Uh, all right. Every line lit. Roy Moore, what happens now? Very, look, very damning allegations today, in addition to what happened last week, particularly damning allegations. And, and before I, I get your calls, I would also just note that it, it is a it is fair to point out that the Democrats uh, did not have a problem. I mean, I know we had that caller said, oh, I'm not sure. Yeah. Did anyone was there any call from from the major TV networks or newspapers for Bill Clinton, who is clearly a sexual predator? I can't even read to you some of the information we have about Bill Clinton's practices while a while president of the United States, while uh, attorney general for the state of Arkansas, you know, just I just go down the list while governor of Arkansas. I, I can't even tell it's a family show, right? I can't even tell you what that guy was doing. Including illegal sexual behavior. And, and now the Democrats are all, oh, are you, a, you know, they're trying to use the fact that the Republican Party at least aspires towards leadership, morality and character or towards leadership with morality and character, as opposed to Democrats, where it's just the blind pursuit of power. Maybe some are going to make the argument that at this point it does not, that that stuff about character, integrity, honesty, that we're too far gone or too far beyond that for it to be a primary consideration in who we vote for. You know, maybe it's just, you, you can make that case. I think there are people who are making that case. Not one that I make, but I know that it's out there. I'm not, I'm not willing to give up integrity decency and character just yet for the i mean for the political party for the republican party i'm not willing to do that just yet uh, but i know some people are and they're, they're they're making those arguments publicly all right uh let's do john in north carolina on wpti hey john yes good evening um well we know that uh, that you know the timing is is one of the critical things here because Things are are starting to just break out all over the place as far as uh, uranium one and all the things connected to Hillary, the Clinton Foundation, and and so forth. Now we have somebody who came forward today. You know what? If Moore had had uh, 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 stepped down over the weekend, she would not have come forward. If he doesn't uh, quit now, there will be another one. Now, I can't help but think back to Herman Cain and how as soon as he dropped out of the race, there was not one other peep from the media. They got what they wanted. And I think that's what's going on here. But, John, did they, when you say that there wasn't one more peep, once he dropped out, there were nobody, as I recall, and this was some years ago, and I haven't been doing research on this, nobody said that Herman Cain was guilty of criminal sexual predation. It was that he was a sexual harasser in the workplace. So that's only an issue for a political candidate, not really an issue. You know, nobody was saying, well, Herman Cain needs to go to prison for what he did. I don't remember anyone claiming that that was the case. Now, in this instance, you're talking about 
behavior that one could not be prosecuted for based on the statute of limitations with Roy Moore, but it would have fallen under uh, criminal activity in the past. So that's, I think, an, that's an important distinction here. Uh, but it, it sounds to me like you think that the timing, this is all too convenient for the Democrats. You don't believe that this is what it seems to be right now. Is that fair to say? Yes, it is. I, th- I don't think it's that hard to find somebody who, who uh, for money, uh, in the right circumstances, can become very good actors. All right. I, re- I, really, I really think that's uh, uh, in- entirely possible. And I think, the, you know, you've pointed out a difference, but I think a, a similarity we have to remember is that both of them were political candidates. Okay. Yeah. I mean, no. They're, they're, look, I, I understand that they they went after Herman Cain with all this. And look, I appreciate you calling it. I would also note that you know John Edwards, the story about John Edwards, which was not criminal sexual conduct, but it was grotesque. John Edwards, he of I only cheated on my wife, who was cancer stricken, while I was a candidate for the presidency, when she was in remission. He said that on TV. That was in his like, hey everybody, let's just like dial this back. Yes, my wife was dying of cancer, but she was in remission when I was having the affair. That was John Edwards, who was like number three on the list for the presidency for Democrats at the time. He was doing pretty well and had been a vice presidential candidate. So you think they couldn't have figured that out, by the way? You think no? You think nobody in the media had heard any rumors about John Edwards and his, you know, his uh, his hippie mistress? I'm sure they did. But it's not fair. I understand that. You know I know this. It's not fair. Democrats play super dirty. I told you about Ted Stevens. I'm the one who still waves his arms left and right about, hey, what about go down the list of all the spurious prosecutions of Republicans? We got Menendez, by the way, we're still waiting to see. Senator Menendez, Democrat, chairman of the House Foreign Relations Committee. I'm sorry, Senate for obviously the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Uh, waiting to see if he's guilty and and are the Democrats going to remove that'll be a fascinating day by the way if he is guilty and Democrats are like well you know he's a convicted felon but you know we shouldn't you know I mean he can still be a senator we're not going to remove him oh oh but I thought you were all about morality and probity when it comes to members of Congress uh, but I've talked to you before about how Governor Scott Walker of Wisconsin Governor Chris Christie of New Jersey Governor um, I'm forgetting his name. right. Rick Perry of Texas. Go down the line. Governor Bob McDonald. Slimy stuff, not illegal stuff in Virginia. Sorry. No quid pro quo, not corruption. All these different, very politicized prosecutions that went on. Um, So Democrats play very, very dirty. Look, they're trying to take people out in the media. I don't have to tell you about this. They're trying to take people out in the media who are just asking questions about this and not going along right away. They're they're using they're they're setting this up as a pedophile defender trap. That's what this all is. If you if you defend Roy Moore, you're defending a pedophile. Oh, but no one's proven that Roy Moore is a pedophile. Oh, you're defending a pedophile. That's what they'll say. That's what they are saying already. Jeff in Alabama, WBUV. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Buck. How are you doing? Thanks for having me on the show. I'm good. Thank you. Um. I just want to let you know, um, I'm a 22-year-old college student in Mobile, so uh, if you were ever wondering if you had any young listeners. Um, so Thank I have you, to sir. say that I'm skeptical of the whole Roy Moore thing, and I'd like to explain why I feel that way, because, um, you know, I hate to be even be uh, slightly cynical towards any sexual assault victim, but just bringing up, you know, in last year's campaign, 
for the general election. The last four weeks, you had over a dozen women claiming that Donald Trump sexually assaulted them, and those all magically disappeared. And the same with uh, Ted Cruz during the primaries. You know, there was a big old gaffe saying that Ted Cruz had multiple affairs, and that just happened to go away after he dropped out of the primaries. And uh, just the the whole timing of the situation, it's after Roy Moore uh, wins, wins the nomination on the ticket. You know, I feel like this should have come out earlier, but I guess it, it wouldn't have been convenient then. And also, just thinking back to when uh, I think it was Chuck Schumer, but I'm not sure, but um, someone had said something about, you know, lying about Romney lied about his uh, tax returns. And when asked about it later, yeah, said, I mean, we know that was you know, a lie. And he said that that kept him from getting a lot. But that's very that's very different. And I think people at the time pretty transparent. It was pretty transparent that Chuck Schumer. No way. If Mitt Romney could get away with making that much money and not paying taxes, uh, I would want to know who his accountant is because that's the magic. All right. I mean, there's no way. So, I mean, yeah, I understand your point that they'll lie and there have been lies uh, to be sure. And and I think, look, I, I think that the way that they they conflated Trump saying that I can as a celebrity in, in, a, in a moment of locker room talk where he didn't realize he was on a mic. They said that, you know, him saying I can grab women and they're OK with it is the same as Trump saying that I sexually assault women all the time. Well, that's actually not what he said. And and he was speaking off the cuff about, you know, or in a way that sometimes guys who are not being uh, careful with their words find themselves saying things that they should not say. Um, But here we are nonetheless. um, And and look, Jeff, I I, uh, definitely go ahead. And then I got to get to we got a lot of calls. Go ahead. All right. Um, I'm definitely uh, waiting to see what due process has to say about this. Um, I don't want to call any any uh, person that brings allegations a liar outright, but I also don't want to accept the allegations until you know they've been charged. You know, I hear you. So you're you're skeptical, but you're you're in a wait and see mode. I, I can appreciate yeah. that, Jeff. Thank you for calling in from Alabama. One more Alabama caller before we go into break. Allison, down in Alabama. Good to have you. Hi. How are you? I'm good, Allison. Thank you for your call. Um, so I called back in September around the time of the last runoff vote, and um, I talked to you about the situation and how I was really conflicted about it. Um, I voted for Mo Brooks initially. and Yeah, what happened um, with Mo? Mo would have been great, Allison. Yeah, and that's, that's what really bothered me at the time when the Republicans threw so much money into the race and came after him so hard, and it worked. <laughs> You know, but they were thinking that their guy was going to get in easily and, that you know, that Mo Brooks was the only real contender. And it worried me then because I knew what was going to happen. And it's exactly what has happened. It came down to Roy Moore and Luther Strange. And and here we are. Um, And, you know, it's just I am conflicted about it. On the one hand, the new allegation that came out today i haven't heard much about it yet because i just got home from work but i i caught a little bit of rush limbaugh earlier and i'd heard something about she has some kind of professional relationship with joe biden um there's some kind of connection there i think you may be referring to and i could be wrong but i believe you're allison because when rush was on air i don't believe the latest allegation which is i think in some ways the most damn well i mean it depends you know who you find more credible of the accusers but a very damning revelation from the perspective of a press. It was a press conference. She was very emotional. I think that happened after Rush had finished his show, just so you know. So I believe you're referring to the woman who said she was 14 at the time. 
Okay, so I didn't realize that that woman had any connection to any Democrats at all. In fact, I thought they were saying that she had claimed to be a Republican and a Trump voter and all of that. So I don't know, but uh, you know, this, yeah, Ty says she she did make she did make that claim that she was a Republican and a Trump voter. Yeah, <laughs> well, it just this claim is very different from the others because before. Certainly, there seemed to be a pattern of very inappropriate and, you know, creepy behavior, which to me is not that surprising, honestly, for Roy Moore. But there was no allegations of, you know, him forcing himself on anyone. There was the four, the one who said she was 14, who, you know. Wait, I, Allison, to- can I just, I, 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 just because we have to run a break here. Do you believe Roy Moore was preying on women or young women or not, based on what you've heard so far? I mean, I think he definitely was pursuing them as far as whether there was any kind of assault that, you know, I, I don't know. And I just it's kind okay. of scary that we're at a point now where anyone can say anything happened at any time in their lives and it's automatically true you know, because there's no way to prove it. And it's, I can sympathize to some extent with people who say that they're going to vote for him anyway, because if Doug Jones gets in, it's not like he's going to represent the people of Alabama. He's going to vote the party line like Democrats always do. I mean, he would have to caucus with Republicans if he was going to represent the views of the people of Alabama. But at the same time, I'm just going to write in Mo Brooks. I don't know if anyone else go. will. I haven't. Yeah, Allison, I, I, I've, we've, we're about to run into our, our station breaker, so I've got to go, but I very much appreciate you calling. We have a lot of Alabama callers today, which is great, so thank you for that. Uh, team, when we come back, uh, we're going to talk about uh, probably the Russia collusion latest stuff. I'll, I'll knock some of that down, and then we'll get into the Mideast happenings, so stay with me for that. We will get into uh, the Russia collusion stuff, the latest. Uh, there's a lot a lot there, and then the, the whole breakdown of what's happening in the Middle East, uh, which I've been promising you throughout the show. Uh, but first, there's other sexual assault and sexual harassment and all kinds of sexual predatory behavior that's still breaking out there, whether it's Brett Ratner, a very prominent Hollywood director, uh, Kevin Spacey, Louis C.K., the comedian. I will know that Louis C.K. has come out and has just said, like, I, he did this. He's he's not even he's not doing any of the like well maybe some of it or it was good. he's like I, I did what people said I did and it's and I saw his statement uh, over the weekend and you know and it's a disgrace and and uh, all that I mean like what what I guess what once he's admitted it what else is really going to be said of course it's a disgrace and one of his victims came out and talked about it do we have the uh, do we this have, was oh, not on my vision board for life yeah. you know um, sitting here after twenty six years of of working in this industry and. I'm talking about a a middle-aged man who masturbates everywhere. That is not, um, that is not what, that's, that's a horrible position to be in. And he put us all in that. And, um, and it's, it's gross and it's not what any of us asked for or wanted. Um, but the right thing to do was, to speak out because so this, this is a, a, um, a multi a multi-millionaire it's just, it's nationally incredible. famous comedian who has admitted and what this woman says there's no question here right keep in mind roy moore says it's all i whether you believe him or not he says that it's all a lie it is all a witch hunt it's all a smear campaign when it comes to anything illegal he says absolutely not uh louis ck there's not any issue of illegality as far as i know but he's saying in terms of the grossness and everything else oh yeah absolutely happened which just makes me – I just want to point this out, and this goes also to our distrust of, of the media and, and the broader role that the left has in the culture. 
over the weekend, you, you got this famous comedian who's doing this, admitted it, Saturday Night Live, which is watched still by three or four million people, I think, every time it airs on Saturday night, which is pretty amazing considering how crappy it is. Saturday Night Live did not think it was worth even mentioning Louis C.K. They went after Roy Moore, but there was no mention of Louis C.K. No, nothing, no, no, no skits, no nothing about Louis C.K. And, you know, it's like Bill Maher recently on his show. Oh, yeah, he's so brave. No mention of these leftist media figures who are are admitted predators. Admitted predators. I mean, with Louis C.K., this guy is, is in, in serial fashion, cornering women in his business and, and pleasuring himself in front of them. I mean, it's just bizarre and disgusting and on so many levels. But there are still people who are afraid, people of prominence in our culture, afraid to take on that issue, afraid to make any jokes about Louis C.K. because they're cowards and they're hypocrites. So I, I keep that in mind as we go forward here. Talk about Russia and then the Mideast. Stay with me. That he and Russia did not meddle in the election. As to whether I believe it or not, I'm with our agencies, especially as currently constituted with their leadership. I believe in our intel agencies, our intelligence agencies. I've worked with them very strongly. Uh, there weren't 17, as was previously reported. There were actually four. But as currently uh, led by fine people, I believe very much in our intelligence agency. Trump is saying he believes in the IC, the intelligence community. I should note that, as a little aside, as somebody who used to be an employee of the IC, uh, we really don't refer to it all that much that way. It's You really think of it like you're in a bunch of, I would say, schools that are competitive with each other, whether you're at the NSA, the CIA, the DIA, and there's a, a fair amount of bureaucratic infighting, a little bit of back and forth, even a, even a fair amount of, uh, of trash talking between the very, at least when I was there. I, I, I don't know if, they, maybe that's changed. Maybe, maybe everybody plays nice in the sandbox now, but... I doubt it, and I could certainly ask some of my friends who are still on the inside what it's like, uh, but it, it was a very tribal culture uh, within the, and it was, and then even within the organization, even even within CIA, uh, uh, there were there were analysts, and then there were analysts. I mean, we all, some offices thought they were, you know, the the elite among the, you know, the the, the memo writing, intel briefing. Number crunching set, right? There was there was a kind of a, a who was the best nerd contest among us among us analysts, uh, and and I'm not gonna lie, my office thought that we were among the nerds, the best of all the nerds. So there you go. So it's there's a lot of different people talking. The, the intelligence community is huge. It is huge, and it, it to refer to it as one entity or one organization or one organism even is uh, gives you a, a false sense of what's going on. So that that's just a little bit of backdrop for you to know. And then I'll tell you a bit about here. This whole 17 versus 4. Here's the problem with the 17. People keep saying, "Oh, well, it, it's a little bit this is down in the weeds, but I I'll explain because you're going to keep hearing about this." Yeah, 17 agencies didn't have access to the information or weren't part of the analytic process. First of all, in, in every agency or organization within the intelligence community, there are only some people dealing with any given issue, right? So it's, it's not like it's not like you walk in and, and and everybody in the whole place is like, oh, do you hear about the Russia thing that's going on? That's not that's not how these things work, right? There's specialization, as you would as you can assume, within these organizations. 
but when he talks about the 17 versus the four, um, yeah, the, the Office of the Director of National Intelligence speaks for the community. And so it's like when somebody is the spokesperson for a company, you're not hearing from every division and every, you know, if this were in the corporate world of private sector, you're not going to hear from everything, but you're gonna, whatever the spokesperson says, you take as. Or even in a simpler way, look at the, you know, the West Wing and the way the White House works. Right? The White House press secretary speaks for the administration. That doesn't mean that every person, it's not representative of every person's opinion in the administration, but that's the official. So that's how the national intelligence director, the director of national intelligence, that's how it works. That's the summary opinion from the necessary components. In body. So, yeah, it's not it's not right to say that all 17 were looking at. All, OK, fine. But the four speak for the 17. And so this is where you get all this back and forth and you get people that are all pedantic about it and everything else. And hopefully I'm not one of those people now. I'm just trying to tell you so you know. Um, and many who are in the IC, because I got a lot of fantastic people in the IC who do listen to this show. Many of you do know. And you're like, yes, indeed. In- indeed, what Bucky's saying is correct. Fantastic. So that's one part of this. And then there's the other part, which is there are all these people now who are saying, you know, Clapper and Brennan. I mean, they're just auditioning for roles in the next administration. Right. Well, one of them definitely wants to be like secretary of state and the other probably wants to be. I don't know. Or they just know that, hey, be on CNN. Be on. It's it's a great gig to be on the seventy five to one hundred fifty thousand dollar a lecture circuit. And if you want to be on that circuit and you're a former administration person, Brennan, Clapper, these types, you, you got to be anti-Trump. The money is still an anti-Trump on the lecture circuit and books and all that. So. There's a financial incentive here for people like the Clappers and the, and the Brennans of the world, too. Um, oh, Senator Ted Cruz breaking here says, I'm not able to tell the people of Alabama to support his candidacy as long as these allegations remain unrefuted. That just broke while I'm on air here. So, OK. So you got Ted Cruz saying, but look, Ted Cruz, a lawyer, very smart guy, remains unrefuted. He is not saying I'm out. He's saying, I'm out unless that's Tyrone. That is important. That is important wiggle room that the senator is leaving himself under the circumstances. All right. But thank you for the heads up on that, Ty. Uh, Okay. But now back to Brennan and Clapper. Uh, These guys are out there and they are just hammering because Trump met with uh, Putin in uh, the uh, was it the Philippines or Vietnam. I forget now. It was one of those two countries. It's all right. And one of those two. It doesn't, I mean, it doesn't really matter, right? I mean, he met with and people like, Buck, get the facts right. No, he, he met with Putin briefly and, and they talked. And that's where you have this whole problem of who does Trump believe? Does Trump believe uh, his own intelligence community? Does he believe Putin? Trump is saying, look, Putin says it. And I think he believes what he's saying. What I want to know is, well, before I tell you what I think, let me show you what, let me tell you what Clapper and Brennan, Clapper is former DNI, Director of National Intelligence. Brennan is former CIA Director, which was my former organization. Uh, you know, just making the foamiest, most delicious lattes of any analyst on the planet. That was my, that was my gig. Uh, Clapper, as well as deploying to some war zones, but whatever. Uh, Clapper said the following about the whole Russia-Trump situation. It really wasn't much of a template or rule book for how to handle a situation like this. I think what was done was appropriate. Uh, I guess you could you could go back and say, well, we should have been more aggressive or done something earlier. I don't know. But there were there were good reasons why uh, there was uh, caution and discretion here. 
It's very important. He's talking about how the Obama administration handled the Russia influence operation during the course of the election cycle. You'll notice that when it comes to that, he's saying, well, it's very, it's very important to, uh, I know it sounds a little too much like David Gergen, but I, you know, I'm trying to, I got to work on my clapper. It's kind of, you know, it's down here. It's very serious. Um, it's not quite gurgling with Gergen, but it's a similar in a, in a similar part of the uh, voice register. Uh, but clapper is saying that there were reasons not to go all in crazy anti-Russia. Oh, my gosh. They're over. Essentially, what he's saying is, look, there was a need for nuance. You're still dealing with the Russia that has thousands of nuclear missiles, a very large and capable military and has the ability to hurt us in a whole bunch of ways if we get too aggressive with them. So, look, we had a time. Oh, oh, so for Obama, then there's room for why don't we back off Russia a little bit here? You'll notice that. So for Obama, there's reason not to just, I I don't know, they're saying tell the whole country about the fact that Russia was trying to subvert our electoral process, that Russia was trying to throw an election. Think about that. That must be some pretty, there must be some pretty powerful stuff that we're concerned about on the Russian side if if it's okay to hold back for Obama. But now when it comes to the Trump administration in Russia, there is no such thing as aggressive enough there is no such thing as quieting the critics on this here's what former cia director brennan said about trump's uh discussions with putin recently and just his general approach to russia i think mr trump is uh, for whatever reason uh, either intimidated by mr putin afraid of what he could do or uh what might uh, come out uh, as a result of these uh, investigations so uh it's very worrisome Okay, so do you, do you see what we've established here with these two sound bites from these two very senior former intelligence officers? You see, what we've established here when Clapper's talking about Obama and how Obama reacts to Russia. Hold on, everybody. There's nuance. You know, we don't want to get we don't want to be too aggressive with the Russians. You know, there were reasons why Obama didn't sound all the alarms and and get about Russia as th- as they claim at least. I mean, I think this is all hyperventilated nonsense, but. As they claim, as the intelligence assessment claims for the community, trying to throw an election. So there were reasons for nuance on that. Then, as it was happening, because we're talking about a Democrat president, but now we've got a Republican president. Now, Donald Trump is in the White House. And you'll notice Brennan saying that essentially Trump is afraid of Putin. He's scared. You know, he's, he's being a wimp towards Putin. And it just makes me wonder, what do they think? At this point in time, Trump is supposed to do about the Russia intervention in the election storyline. What would make them happy? How what has to happen for Trump? What does he have to do so that I and you don't have to watch Brennan and Clapper and these others go on TV on CNN and MSNBC night after night saying he's scared of Russia, Russia's got something on him, he's not standing up to Russia, and he's not holding them accountable for their election interference. How how could he hold them accountable? Do we really think if, if Trump sat down with Putin at a press conference and said, you know, Putin, you're lying to me, which is what they want him to say, they're very clear, but you're lying to me, you tried to mess with our last election, and we're not having it. Do you, do you think then they would stop talking about Russia collusion in the election? Of course not. 
They're just looking for any excuse to continue on with that narrative. And there's nothing that Trump can do to quiet them. And in fact, even I think up to the point of recklessness from Trump, if he were to be reckless, if he was to say, hey, Putin, you know what? You're a punk, you're scum, and we're going to increase, we're going to throw even more sanctions at you for your election interference. And we, we have no, no areas where we can work cooperatively with you or constructively with you because of what you did in the election. Even if he did all that, they would still say, oh, well, now he's just trying. Now Trump's just trying to cover up. He's just trying. He cannot win. There is nothing that this president can do. I I mean this and I challenge anybody to come up with a counter narrative that is sensible and true. There is nothing this president can do when it comes to Russia that would get his critics to stop saying that he is a pawn of Putin, that he is scared of Putin, that the, that he doesn't care about the that he was part of the election collusion. It doesn't matter. And so when they critique him and suggest that somehow they're being fair minded in their assessment of Trump Russia policy, it's just laughable, although it's about a very serious business. But it's a, it's a preposterous position that they take. And I'm just sick of it. And I just, I just find Clapper and, and Brennan, I, I wish they would say something that was useful or helpful at some point. But they are partisan hacks. It's just reality. I'm glad I wasn't working. I'm glad I wasn't working for him. Although, I don't know, was Clapper? Technically, I might have kind of worked for Clapper if he was at the head of the IC. When, I don't even remember. And the guy, the, uh, I'm going to let you in on another little secret. Director of National Intelligence, the CIA directors, he's got, he's doing stuff. There's stuff that goes on that this, you know, the director is, is important. The DNI, kind of like a bureaucratic ceremonial post for the most part you know i mean how, how many guys can you really have looking at the same information trying to share with the anyway it's just it's just not it's not that cool no no fly kicks and and ninja stars and and laser pens and stuff in the dni dni's office i could promise you that's that's not happening all right we'll be right back it's the most interesting political corruption case since rod blagojevich good hair by the way we res- I respect the swoop. Blagojevich had a solid quaff. Uh, but the most interesting political corruption trial since then with, with uh, Senator Menendez. And here's the update on as of a few hours ago. After more than two months, this courtesy of Politico, and deliberations, uh, uh, two months of testimony and deliberations, the corruption case against U.S. Senator Robert Menendez is on the verge of a mistrial. On Monday afternoon, after deliberating for about two hours, the jury foreman sent a note to Judge William Walls stating that the panel was deadlocked on all counts against the Democratic senator and his co-defendant, Florida Eye Doctor Solomon Melgan. As of 2 p.m., on behalf of all jurors, we cannot reach a unanimous decision on any of the charges. Is there any additional guidance? What do we do now? The judge then reread some of the instructions. And you must make a determination... Uh, on of whether the government has met its burden beyond a reasonable doubt. <laughs> so they can't figure. I mean, so at least that means it's close, right? They're not unanimous on anything, but it means that some people think this, some people think that. But you know what else? You know what else does not have unanimity? That Democrats think that he should resign if, in fact, he is convicted. There seems to be a little bit of a womp womp. Not really, not really wanted to talk about this one. Senator Chris Van Hollen of Maryland, for example, when asked if Menendez should be removed or step down if convicted by a jury of his peers. This is what the senator from Maryland had to say. If that jury convicts him, convicts him, not allegations, but a conviction, should he step down? 
Chris, he, he, we're going to leave this decision to the jury, and I'm not going to get ahead of the game. Uh, people on the jury will look at the facts, just like people in Alabama will have to look at the facts, and they'll have to render a decision. This is a really easy question. If guilty of a lot of felonies, should a sitting U.S. senator no longer be a senator? The answer is yes. The answer is not, let's not get... Now, keep in mind, this isn't about affecting the outcome, or this isn't about... This is about the following. I don't think Democrats are going to necessarily go along. If if this guy's convicted, I mean, if a mistrial looks like they may, they may have to have a, a retrial, and who knows where this goes, right? But... If he is convicted, and we know it's close because the jury's not like, this is ridiculous. We're done. Not guilty. I mean, the jury clearly is like, well, maybe. Although someone in the jury asked, what is a senator recently? You saw that? They asked that. They asked, what is a senator? It's a sad day for American, you know, civic knowledge. It's not great, you know? I mean, because technically it's it's an ice hockey player, right? Isn't right? Bam! Mind exploded right there. Just everyone gave me the thumbs up. I am in fact correct. A senator is an ice hockey player. So there you go. Where, where are they from, Ty? Ottawa. Thank you. Thank you. Everyone's nice up in Ottawa. Uh, okay. So th- th- there's one. Oh, but we got more. We got more. Senator Dick Durbin of Illinois when asked the same question about whether a sitting senator convicted of multiple felonies, multiple corruption felonies, mind you having to do with the exercise of his official duties. Should he step down if, in fact, a convicted felon? Here is what Dick Durbin says. If your colleague, Senator Bob Menendez, New Jersey Democrat, is convicted on the corruption charges, he's on trial right now, the jury is still deliberating, will you vote to expel him? I'm not going to get into the hypotheticals on either of these situations. As I said, several steps removed. Uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that when all is said and done, that Bob Menendez will be returning to the Senate representing the state of New Jersey. Look at this. It's almost like they've been distributed talking points or something in the Democrat Senate to tell them just, you know, don't answer. Just don't answer. Don't make it seem real. Don't answer the question. Even though right right now, I mean, the jury could theoretically tomorrow, I, I, think, I, I guess they've been sent home, I'm assuming, the jury could come back and be like, you know what? Yeah, he's guilty. So this isn't like we're, oh, I don't, I don't want to get into hypotheticals. Uh, it's not like really, I, it's more of a like, we're going to find out in a day or so. Probably. So maybe you want to tell us, and maybe here's a, here's just an opportunity for Democrats. If they believe Menendez is innocent, if they believe he did nothing wrong, isn't this an opportunity to show that they believe in integrity, honesty, fair play? That a criminal conviction for a Democrat is a bad thing. I mean, they think that mere accusations without any conviction should be enough to stop somebody from having a political office and having their career destroyed. So wouldn't a conviction by a jury of one's peers as a U.S. senator be a clear? Oh, no, they're not clear on that because, you know, power, politics. You are now entering the Freedom Hunt Tactical Operations Center. All sensitive programs must be kept strictly need to know. Team Buck is cleared. Roger that. And ready for the Buck Brief. Tensions rising in Lebanon. That may not be a headline that gets all that much attention over here. Lebanon is a small country on the uh, coast of the Mediterranean. Eastern Mediterranean borders Israel has a a long history, unfortunately, in the, in the 20th century of conflict, including a 15-year-long civil war uh, from 1975 or so to 1990, 
Why is Lebanon in the headlines again? Why are we worried? Why should we care about what's happening in this tiny uh, Muslim-majority Arab country on the eastern Mediterranean basin? Let me tell you a little story. Back on the 3rd of November, Saad Hariri, the uh, prime minister of uh, Prime Minister of Lebanon was having a lunch with the French cultural minister, Francoise Nissen. Hariri got a phone call. Hariri got up from that lunch and he made his way to the airport right away. Did not bring any aides with him. He hopped on a plane and went to Riyadh, the capital of Saudi Arabia. He arrived in Saudi Arabia not to a high-level diplomatic welcome, not to have any Saudi officials on the scene, but just merely Saudi police waiting for him. We don't know exactly what happened later on that day, but we do know that Saad Hariri, Lebanon's prime minister, and also the son of the assassinated Rafiq Hariri, who was killed, I believe, back in 2005 by a massive car bomb that was by the international community uh, and obviously blamed on the Assad regime, working also through Hezbollah, uh, or which works with Hezbollah. Uh, But Saad Hariri then in Saudi Arabia, but a few days ago, read out on TV in Saudi Arabia in a Saudi-owned TV station, TV network, that he was resigning as prime minister. Uh, And this struck many people as quite strange. It's understood that he will be returning to Lebanon soon, As I go to air, I don't believe he has made it there quite yet. But a prime minister of a country showing up in another country and saying on TV, I'm out, is unusual to say the least. Here is why this is getting so much attention. The Saudis, who are exerting more and more direct military influence in the region, including in a very uh, brutal air campaign against Houthi rebels in Yemen. And I know there's no way to talk about this without throwing, we've got a lot of different place names and stuff going on at the same time. So I'm trying to work through it piece by piece because it's easy to get, easy for me, easy for anyone to get lost in the complexities of what's going on here. But the Saudis don't like what's happening and are worried about what's happening with the expansion of Iranian influence throughout the region. In fact, it is now possible to, on a map, draw a virtual highway. Some are calling it a Shia crescent, uh, but a, a line straight through from Iran, through Iraq, through Syria, and now through Lebanon, which, despite its power-sharing agreement and a unity government, is in fact controlled by Hezbollah, a terrorist group, which is aligned with the Assad regime in Syria, which is aligned with Syrian uh, Iraqi Shia militias, which are aligned with and directed by the mullahs in Tehran. This Shia influence highway that goes all the way now from Tehran, from from Iran, and it, I should note it also stretches into Afghanistan with the Taliban. And so that is, if, if you want to take the full crescent, it's it's Afghanistan into Iran, into Iraq, into Syria, into Lebanon which takes you to the Mediterranean coast. So this is from a power politics, from a, a great game perspective, thinking back to the era of the uh, the moves on the 
geopolitical chessboard between Russia, Great Britain, France, um, from a, a great a great game, 21st century perspective, Shia influence is growing very rapidly. And the Saudis are trying to blunt it, and they are confronting it. Now, this could sound like a good thing, but nobody really knows exactly how this is going to play out and the possibility of it igniting a war in Lebanon, which, let's be clear, a war in Lebanon, as we saw from the previous civil war, 1975-1990, would bring in regional actors, obviously Syria, and yes, even most likely the Israelis as well, as happened with the Lebanese civil war. In fact, the Lebanese civil war, which led to the Israeli incursion into southern Lebanon, was the genesis of Hezbollah. That is where Hezbollah came from fighting the Israelis in southern Lebanon. Now, there were radical Shia there to begin with, and they also bombed the U.S. Marine barracks in Beirut. And these are all, there is a very, for a small geographic area in the map, a very complicated civil war. Um, But it would be much more than just a fight between the different factions, uh, Maronite, Christian, Druze, Shia Muslim, Sunni Muslim in Lebanon. Uh, It would be a mess that would bring in other regional players. Um, And the destabilization of Lebanon would be a a major concern for the whole region because of all the things I'm talking about, bring in all these other players, and you'd have yet another proxy battlefield because the Sunni Arabs of Saudi Arabia would be backing the Sunni Arab factions in Lebanon. And the Shia... Hezbollah would be getting its backing from Iran and from Assad. So Iranian projection of power in the region has been on the rise. It rose particularly quickly under the Obama administration because President Obama for eight years was dedicated to getting an Iran nuclear deal. That was the foreign policy legacy, the entire foreign policy legacy of the Obama administration in the Middle East. So they were willing to pay very high price for it, and they did. Iraq is now, the government in Baghdad is now operating largely as a satellite government of Tehran, of the Iranians. They are doing their bidding. And we just saw the abandonment of the Kurds by, yes, the U.S. and our allies to Shia-backed bullying in Iraq, much to, I should note, our foreign policy shame. And the Assad regime was propped up by Iranian fighters in Syria as well as by Russian air, and other assistance. And now Lebanon would be yet another battleground. So right now, if you look at a map of the Middle East and see where the fights are and who the players are, you have a Sunni-Shia Muslim fight in Yemen. You have a Sunni-Shia Muslim struggle in Iraq. The same in Syria. Remember, the Assad regime is Alawite, but there's also a a Sunni-Shia divide. The, The Alawite are are Shia, but not really. It's kind of its own thing. But there's a Sunni-Shia divide playing out inside of Syria. And then there has been in the past and continues to be a divide in Lebanon. And the Saudis are getting a little bit uh, a little bit unpredictable. Mohammed bin Salman, MBS, the crown prince, recently decided that I think it was 11 
very prominent Saudis, including members of the royal family and some business, some billionaires, should be under house arrest in the five-star Ritz-Carlton in Riyadh. So there has been a, they're calling it a corruption crackdown. It seems like a consolidation of authority and power in the crown prince, uh, Mohammed bin Salman's hands. But why is he consolidating power right now? I mean, we'd like to think it's for some modernizing influences. We'd like to think it's because he will bring Saudi Arabia into a more 21st century mindset as a country. But what if it's because he's gearing up for much more open conflict in these different proxy battlefields? Remember, this is not Iran and Saudi going at it, although that also could happen here. But when you have a militant group like the Houthis, they're a rebel faction in Yemen, which is a whole other conflict that is underway right now. The Saudis have been waging a uh, particularly uh, destructive air campaign against the Houthis. It's really broke. Yemen is now broken up between the uh, Saleh faction. Saleh was the former president and is with the Houthis who are Iranian backed. This is now in Yemen, right? Right off of Saudi Arabia, part of the Arabian Peninsula. And there's the Salah Houthi element. And then there's also the uh, Hadi and coalition, Saudi-backed coalition element. And we are supportive of that side of it. Hadi was the more recent president of Yemen. And now the country is split. And the Iranians are backing these Houthis um, who fired a missile that the Saudis are saying was an Iranian missile, fired a missile at a Saudi airport in Riyadh because we're not talking about when you're talking about Yemen and Saudi, this is, you know, this is like Maine and, you know, uh, what's the, what's the French speak? Montreal. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is they're, they're not from or Maine and Vermont. I mean, they're not far from each other, right? This is just across the border. Um, and the Saudis are looking at the situation saying, hold on. If the Houthi rebels can fire missiles at our airport in Riyadh with impunity, um, what does that mean? Now, their Saudi response has been uh, strong in terms of a lot of missiles, a lot of bombs dropped. I don't know what it's really doing in terms of the security situation at this point, other than hastening what seems to be a multi-million person famine, very much not getting media headlines. Uh, but there are children who are literally starving to death in Yemen right now because the Saudis have a blockade, in effect, of all humanitarian aid. This is a mess. This is a mess. And the two biggest powers in the Middle East. Now, you'll notice that post-Arab Spring, the Egyptians, they were our linchpin of our Mideast strategy, uh, other than the Israelis. But from, from a Muslim perspective, from a Muslim country's perspective, the, the Egyptians were essential. Now they're, they're side players. They got their own problems. It's the Saudis versus the Iranians. It's the Sunni versus the Shia. This is a civil war between factions of uh, one of the largest religions on the planet and it could get out of control at any point in time so that's what's going that's why the prime minister resigning on air in saudi arabia prime minister Lebanon. that's why it matters because this could bring the saudis to just go openly after the iranians in ways that we have not seen before all right we're going to run into a break here we've got uh, we're going to talk about this editorial about an editorial writer asks the question and answers it can you allow your children to be friends with, if you're black, be friends with white kids? We'll get to that. And then also we've got some great guests. Stay with me. Russia collusion, the investigation, Mueller, it continues on. I know 
it's not going to stop. And as a result of that, we should all be very clear that we need the answers here. We need to get to the truth. We can't just allow the narrative to spin out of control and to have a clear partisan and quite possibly dishonest effect. So who's been digging deep into all this lately? Kim Strassel, that's who. She's with us now. She's the author of The Intimidation Game, which is a fantastic book. She's also a columnist at The Wall Street Journal, where she's on the editorial board. Lifting the Steel Curtain, she wrote recently in The Wall Street Journal. Kim, great to have you back. It's great to be here. Uh, So just tell us what you're looking at right now with regard to Fusion GPS, the dossier, Steel, and where things stand based on what we know as of now? Well, so much has been focused, Buck, on the Trump collusion narrative, even though there's been no evidence yet that anything that was in that dossier, that infamous dossier, has ever been substantiated. I think there's a different way to look at the dossier, which is, in fact, the way that the Hillary Clinton campaign ended up using it during the election and in ways that benefited Democrats. And uh, the dossier, it's... From right now, we, we don't know for a fact, but it has at least been suggested uh, suggested that it was perhaps the basis for or at least part of the basis for the entire counterintelligence investigation of Russia collusion, meaning Trump and the Trump campaign. Right, because here's what we know. We know that the Hillary Clinton campaign and the Democratic National Committee hired an opposition research firm, Fusion. Fusion then hired this former British spy, Uh, Christopher Steele, who then put together this dossier based on Russian sources. And we know that he took it in July of 2016 to the FBI. And if you start to look at the timeline, and there's been some good work starting to come out on this now, Byron York had a very good piece in the Washington Examiner. Um, The timeline is such that this is right around not long after that, that Jim Comey started briefing members of Congress on a potential counterintelligence investigation into the Trump campaign, um, and we go from there. And so it is a legitimate question. Was this dossier the basis of the wiretapping and all the claims that we've heard so far that have not yet been substantiated? Kim, if you could pass along questions to the uh, House Intelligence Committee and and the the various bodies that are now investigating. Hey, Mueller's team, why not, right? But if you could pass along questions and 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 hopefully get some answers about the dossier as it stands right now. What remains to be known that we could know that you think we should and when we would like to find out about the dossier? Two major things. The first one was what we just mentioned. Did the FBI rely on a document that, by the way, was an opposition research document did, commissioned by one campaign during an election. Did they rely on a document, a politicized document, to start a counterintelligence probe into a separate presidential campaign? I think that that's really important. The FBI would have that in, information. And by the way, did Jim Comey know what the origins of this document were? And if so, how would he justify using in essence, a Clinton campaign document. So that's one question. Well, the other really important question, if you, if you can get to it, was were the Russians aware of this effort and did they in some way manipulate this dossier in order to affect U.S. politics? Speaking to Kim Strassel, who's the author of The Intimidation Game and a columnist at The Wall Street Journal. Uh, Kim, if I may, uh, tax reform, a lot of talk about it on the various cable news channels. Uh, 
what, what do you think? I mean, is it going to get done, and is it going to have the impact that right now the administration is, is telling the American people that it will in terms of growth, prosperity, jobs, all that good stuff? Well, just from my conversations, I can tell you there is an intense desire to get this done and more unanimity among Republicans than I saw in any way, shape, or form with health care. And so I think that bodes very well. And they're keeping to their timelines, which is also very encouraging. I do think that the bill will be important for the economy. If it passes, it could really have a big impact because the crown jewels of it are the corporate side, which is big reduction, corporate tax rates, immediate expensing. All of these things are are great, not just for corporate America and, and small businesses, but for the workers who work for them. Could it be better? Yes. I think the individual code side, uh, Really, there could be a lot more that would be done. Um, the, the decision by Republicans to go along with the top tax bracket on higher income earners, we know that that is not a good thing for the economy, and it's a pity they gave into that politics. You think the state and local is still a major stumbling block for those listening? This means that for people, because a lot of you don't live in blue states, that this is a, as much of a big issue, but for some people that live in high-tax states like New York, California, New Jersey, Being able to deduct state and local is a big benefit. And if you take that away, those states that are already losing people in terms of uh, movement for jobs and and trying to find better business climates to begin with, those states will be in rough shape. Do you think they're going to have a compromise or you think the state and local will go away? Well, there might be some compromise. What we are seeing, and I think this is great, is now a push by some outside tax reform groups actually putting some pressure on some blue state Republicans saying, look, you promised tax reform. Don't get caught up on this. You need to move ahead. Get, get over it, as it were. You see the, the Senate, uh, they put out an analysis today showing the, the various amounts that people will get back and save in, in taxes at, by a state-by-state breakout showing that even those blue states are going to do well. So you're, you're seeing a pushback on this. I would love to see it go away, Buck. Uh, this, to me, is actually one of the more exciting parts of the entire tax bill because, yes, it would be painful in the start for some of those states and the residents in them, but there can be no more effective way of actually putting pressure on those state governments to start reducing some of those state and local taxes than there would be if their citizens finally weren't getting to write them off. Kim Strassel, everybody, author of The Intimidation Game, columnist of Wall Street Journal. Check out her latest uh, at Wall Street Journal or WSJ.com. Kim, always a pleasure. Have a, a great rest of your week. Thank you so much. Great. Thank you. The New York Times, or as uh, Trump refers to it, the failing New York Times, uh, has no shortage of articles that any fair-minded person would uh, become very agitated after reading, would feel like... Uh, the message contained in the article, whether it was an editorial or even in the hard news space, was damaging, uh, was unfair, was wrong. But I have to tell you, over the weekend, I read what I would put up there as among the very most damaging and uh, most destructive of all of the New York Times editorials that I can think of. And the title, I think, Gives you a very good sense of where this is going. It, the author is uh, Ikao Yanka, and the title is "Can My Children Be Friends with White People?" And you would assume that somebody could only ask this question in this way if it was likely that they were going to 
at least saying that it would be tough. Uh, it would be tough for, in this case, the, the author of the piece, who's African-American. He, he would make some case about how his children becoming friends with other children who are white, uh, that there's complexities to it. But in fact, it's even worse than that. Because the author just straight up says that in, uh, in his opinion, there is in fact no way that his children as young black Americans can truly be friends with white children. And the New York Times publishes this and takes this position is among the uh, most irresponsible and damaging things I've read in, in the New York Times ever. Uh, it's And that's saying a lot. It says a lot that this is the worst thing I've read in the New York Times in perhaps, I don't know, all time. Let me give you uh, let me give you some of the actual writing that we're talking about here. And remember, the piece is, can my children be friends with white people? And as I get into the details, keep in mind that this author in the New York Times editorial page is telling you, no, not really. He can, they can be fond of, that. they can think some white people are, but they can never truly be friends. It's astonishing. Here's what the writer goes, uh, goes into, and, and here's some of the details. But for people of, of color, quote, the stakes are different. Imagining we can now be friends across the political aisle is asking us to ignore our safety and that of our children to abandon personal regard and self-worth. Only white people can cordon off Mr. Trump's political meaning, ignore the unpleasant, um, unpleasantness from a position of safety. Uh, his election and the year that has followed have fixed the awful thought in my mind, too familiar, uh, too familiar to black Americans. You can't trust these people. Uh, and then he goes on into more detail here. It is impossible to convey the mixture of heartbreak and fear I feel for him. Donald Trump's election has made it clear that I will teach my boys the lesson generations old, one that I, for the most part, nearly escaped. I will teach them to be cautious. I will teach them to be suspicious. I will teach them to uh, distrust much sooner than I thought I would. I will have to discuss with my boys whether they can truly be friends with white people. As against our gauzy national hopes, I will teach my boys to have profound doubts that friendship with white people is possible. Uh, this is a complete and, and utter disgrace. Uh, this is more damaging in its message than uh, anything that I have read in the pages of a major newspaper, in, in certainly in recent memory. And... It is that this is printed and written and that there are some. I mean, I remember when I I just fired off a tweet in response to saying this is one of the most destructive and uh, and gross analyses ever printed in the pages of The New York Times. As I have all this and I think to myself, how can anyone not see it this way? How can anyone not view this as deeply uh, hurtful to people who are not just Friends with white people, but people who are uh, of, well, in this case, probably African-Americans, but could be of, of any number of minority backgrounds who are married to uh, white people. I've got Tyrone in here raising his hand. Uh, Tyrone, I, I think it is fair to say that one, one can, in fact, 
be friends with and and deeply love and and cherish white people as as life partners. In fact, despite what this author says, y- yes, you you can. It's very easy. <laughs> Thank you, Tyrone. Is letting us all know it is in fact easy to be friends with and love white. What I mean, did you see this piece? I know I didn't bring it to your attention before the, we went on air. But what do you think? I, I read the whole piece um, because because I have a, a white wife. I wanted to see what he was talking about and where I thought he was going to go was saying how there has been some insensitivity, perhaps, from white people towards black people since Trump's election. That's where I thought it was going to go. I thought so, too, for the record. Go ahead. And then it went to a place that I it didn't make any sense. You can't tell your kids. that's You can't do that. Tyrone, the quote from the piece, I'm quoting, and this is, fr- this is in, in, a, in a sentence at the top of the paragraph, as against our Gauzy national hopes, I will teach my boys to have profound doubts that friendship with white people is possible. End quote. He's not saying that white people may not understand the plight of black America. That, that's a totally understandable and that, that's a whole separate discussion. He's not saying that Trump is just insensitive to the. No, no. This is I will teach my kids that they can't view white people the same way as they would non-white people because of Trump, I guess, and structural racism. Can't be friends with is what he's saying. And, that, and that's the part that troubled me, because why are you putting limits on your children? You should put no limits on your children. They're children. Those limits come later. I mean, this you is find like, out they're not they're never going to dunk a basketball. You tell them, sorry, you can't be in the NBA. Those limits don't shouldn't exist for children. And, and it's almost to me, it's like a form of brainwashing that's going on here. It, it, it's borderline psychological child abuse. You're going to tell people that they can't really. Hey, can, can we just this is I know that people usually, you know, they go, oh, well, that's not a fair comparison, but. Can we just imagine for a second if a if a white person anywhere in America wrote a piece about how, look, because my children can't really understand the plight of minorities, I'm just going to let them know that it'll be difficult for them to have minority friends. That author would be roundly and rightfully condemned across the board for just the worst kind of racism imaginable. I, I I read through this piece and I, I like you, Tyron, I was thinking that it was going to get into and it does make it does talk about Trump and you know what Trump has done and our political. OK, that's all. I, I get that. That's to be expected. But there are specific points in here at which the notion of white and black friendship is undermined by the author. And I, I can't imagine a more damaging message for somebody to be writing in The New York Times. And it's going to his kids are going to be in a, in a mental prison because. How are they going to exist? First of all, I, I have this idea of this blog real quick where I, one day I'm going to take a picture and say I'm the only black guy in the room. Because I have a white wife, I spend a bunch of time as the only black guy in the room. Imagine How often, Buck, are you the only white person in a room in your life? What I mean is, you, as a black person, you can't avoid white people and succeed. And think of how many, I mean, still in this country, 70% or so of the population is white. So this author is saying 70% of Americans you really can't be friends with. Never mind people who are white who are not American. But I just mean, you know, most of the people you meet day to day, you can't be friends with them. How can you exist like that? I just don't. And what was so amazing to me, Ty, is that I also, somebody last night from like, I forget, it was U.S. News or Newsweek, one of these places, when I tweeted out that this was a really gross uh, editorial was like, why don't you explain how, you know, why don't you explain that? I'm like, how does this need to be explained to, how does it need to be explained to anybody? Anyway, Tyrone, thank you for, for you know, as always, weighing in. I mean, I'm just, I sit here and I think about how we have all these messages in the media of inclusion and diversity. And and I, I do often think that that even from the far left, the, there there is some heart in the right place, but, you know, the, the policies that come from it are bad. 
uh, when we're talking about things like, you know, diversity and inclusiveness and, and the way that that manifests itself as a function of, of a state enterprise or a government enterprise. But I mean, this like we're, we can all be friends with people of different races. This is the most basic. If you believe in diversity, inclusiveness, uh, multiculturalism, any of these things at all, if you just believe in being a decent human being, a moral person. You can be friends with anybody who's doesn't matter what they look like, doesn't matter what they sound like. This is 101. This is golden rule. This is what you teach your kids as soon as your kids are old enough to teach them anything. You judge a person by who the person is, by their character, by how they are considerate and, and caring towards others, by their trustworthiness, by their honor. Not by skin color. I mean, this is so this is a law professor at Cardozo Law School writing this piece in New York Times. This is leaps and bounds backwards from where we should be in terms of the national conversation. And New York Times should just be ashamed, but they are not capable of shame. Uh, We'll get into uh, more coming up here in just a few minutes. Stay with me. All right. Welcome back, everybody. We have. Michael Goodwin on the line. He is a columnist from the New York Post, also a Fox News contributor, where I had the pleasure of actually uh, bumping into him earlier today. Great to see you, Michael. And uh, his piece is how the ex-DNC chair ruined Clinton's chance at 2020. Uh, Michael, thanks for joining. Uh, my pleasure, Buck. Thank you. All right. Talk to me about this, because I've been wondering, is is this Donna Brazil uh, going rogue against the Democrat Party for purposes of book sales, or, or is this the beginning of the end of the Clintonite hold on the Democrat Party and Donna Brazil is just in the vanguard? Well, look, I, I think a lot of what Donna Brazil is saying in the book needed to be said from within the Democratic Party. Uh, the idea that somehow Hillary Clinton was a victim of the Russians and James Comey and uh, Donald Trump and the misogynist press and and uh, racism and deplorable. I mean, it's ridiculous. She she just had an excuse for every day of the week. And I think what Donna Brazil, the the impact of what she has done here, is paint a very devastating portrait of Hillary Clinton from within the ranks of the Democratic Party, saying it was a joyless campaign, it was a cult, it was sterile. Uh, not to mention all of the issues with uh, hijacking the DNC itself, uh, rigging the primary season. So I, th- I think that the overwhelming portrait is this person, for whatever for whatever Donna Brazil's motives are, but the portrait is this person cannot be a candidate anymore. No, we need the new leadership. Uh, Michael, we uh, we lost you there. You uh, he dropped off. Are you still there? Up. Uh, okay. Well, we're gonna have to. We're gonna go. We're gonna go ahead. Michael's piece is great. Uh, Michael's piece is great. We appreciate him joining. I was with Molly over the weekend. I had been at Stanford all last week, and I was uh, with Molly over the weekend, and finally got to see her again, which was great. And she says, you know, we should we should go. And go visit because she knows this is really I, I, going to see dogs is like a form of therapy for me. So I always like to see my family dog, French bulldog named Tallulah, or there are puppies. Now I know many of you say puppy don't go to puppy stores because of puppy mills. Now I will just tell you that in New York City there are very strict rules from the I think it's uh, I don't know if it's not it's not animal control might be health and not health and human service i forget what the department of hygiene or something i forget what it is here in the city 
but it's very important. It's very strict. And they will go and visit the breeders, and there has to be a certificate from the breeder of inspection from the city of New York for the dog to be sold in the city of New York. So and whether you believe that or not, I'm just saying that there are checks and balances in place to make sure that they're not coming from puppy mills. That's it. I didn't buy a dog from it. I just went in. The puppies are there, and I wanted to say hi. So I went and said hi to some puppies, and we said hello to a uh, a Boston Terrier puppy, which I get very excited about. And we also had a little bit of uh, a little bit of time with a Cavalier King Charles Spaniel, which for those of you who live in a kind of a smaller house or apartment, and if you don't have a ton of space, great dog, so sweet, really good with children, really fun and energetic. And I will say that the the Cavalier particularly took to me. Usually, everybody, human beings and 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 animals prefer to you know hang hang out with Molly. The dogs, people that walk past us in the street, they're like, I want to talk to Molly, not Buck. It's no surprise. Uh, but in this case, the Cavalier was actually, you know, spending a lot of time hanging out with me. So that was kind of fun. That was a nice change of pace. Maybe it was my cologne, although I wasn't wearing any. Uh, so the the dog and I were hanging out in the in the pet store. And unfortunately, Molly got the hives that she gets from being allergic to a dog. And she says that she's going to, she wants to just push through it and we'll see an allergist. And I guess, because then I was like, what about the Italian Greyhound? Because the Italian Greyhound is a less... Yeah, they're cute, right? Amy's giving me thumbs up. Ty's okay with it. Italian Greyhound is a more uh, hypoallergenic dog. It's not entirely, but because of the hair. And they're cute. I, I kind of like them. I think the dog in The Simpsons is kind of based off of a, an, an Italian Greyhound, if memory serves. Uh, but we, she says, no, 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 no. She wants, she wants what she wants. I'm trying to push for a bulldog. She wants a pit mix, and she wants to adopt. So those of you who are saying adopt, don't shop. Molly's already got that locked down. She wants us to adopt uh, adopt a dog. And then she has her family dog. I have my family dog. So we got a lot of dogs running all over the place. But she did remind me, though, as we were laughing, because there was a, there was a dachshund puppy. Now, dachshund is badger hound. For those who don't, don't speak the German, dachs is... Badger and hound is hound. So a dachshund used to be the dog that would go in the hole and it would try to try to bark and scare out the badger. It's very effective. Yeah. And and she reminded me of how not long ago we were at a a uh, a party for a what's it called a baby shower. That's right. When you have a baby that gets all the gifts. And I it was a it was a co-ed baby shower. I feel like usually this is a ladies. A ladies-only event, but this one was significant. Others, husbands, boyfriends, etc., are welcome as well. So we're at the we're at the baby shower, and there is a dachshund that's walking around, and this thing is it is ancient looking, and uh, and as Molly noted, it was it looked like a dachshund that somebody had maybe put a like a battery into a toy because it, it was just walking very kind of slowly and in a very uh, mechanical fashion. This dog, it was brown, uh, kind of tan and black, I should say, but had gone gray on the face and a lot of, you know, it just was, a, I think the dog was like 14 years old or something. And and also, as as one of the, one person at the party pointed out, the dachshund was, uh, was, was very old and was dragging, and, and was dragging not just a tail on the ground, which I didn't know that could happen, but that apparently can happen. So dachshund was in some rough shape. And and we're we're walking along and and I I made the mistake because I get very excited about when I get to see a dog I made the mistake of well this guy's you know he's he's wandering and this party is packed there's a hundred people at this party I mean it's absolutely jammed 
and this dachshund is making the rounds very kind of slowly, and he's not limping, but just he's he's a slow mover. And sure enough, uh, sure enough, I decide that I'm going to pick up this dachshund, and uh, which I, I've picked up many dogs. I know how you know how to give them proper support and everything. But I, I try to lift it up off the ground, and I, it's a mistake. You do not – you really shouldn't even pet a dog unless you speak to the owner and make sure it's friendly. Dachshunds are biters, as I have found out. Uh, but you do not um, – you do not try to lift a dog up if you don't know the dog, even because it's a little dog, right? I'm thinking, come on, a little dog. How, how big a deal? Could, and I, remember I lift this thing up at the party in front of everybody. I'm being very, very gentle. You know, I lift the dog up, and it just – as I'm lifting it up, it twists around like an anaconda – and I can just see it coming, and I'm holding it pretty close to my face, and it just goes, hop, 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 hop. and it's I can see its little sharp jaws as I'm holding it up in the air, biting at my face, trying to take a chunk out of my cheek, and I am I am displeased with the situation, but I cannot drop now at sh- from shoulder height this ancient dog, or else I'm afraid I don't want to hurt the animal. Of course, I want to shatter into a thousand little doggy pieces, so I have to maneuver while not letting it bite my face. To the ground, all these people are watching. I am mortified. I get it to the ground without anybody or without dropping it, and I literally pull my hand away, and ow, and it just misses my hand. And everyone comes over, you know, are, are you okay? And then I knew this was going to happen. Then they go, is the dog okay? I'm like, oh god, please! If this little dog has a heart attack, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, this is like, I'm never gonna live this down. Dog is fine. Dog is fine. But it was an important reminder that even an ancient dachshund that probably weighs about nine pounds soaking wet uh, with its arthritic little hips and everything, you do not just pick it up and you do not put it near your face because those little teeth, if they had caught some some of Buck's cheek, it would have been a bad day for everybody. So it was a reminder for me because we saw a little dachshund there, you know, even little dogs. Little dogs can be biters. Little dogs can be biters. Um, And with that, just sharing a bit of canine wisdom here. And I'm hoping you're now laughing at me because everybody else was because I almost got my face taken off by the oldest dog I think I've seen in a long time and the smallest one. Uh, With that, I'll tell you that the quest for uh, Buck and Molly's dog continues. 2018, we will solve this problem. And uh, until tomorrow, my friends, shield tie.